Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. It's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now. Here is your host, and time watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show. I'm your host, Sheila Zelinsky, for this Wednesday, February 25th, 2015 edition. My website was taken down three times yesterday, and for all of you that emailed me, I am aware of it, and my web guy worked all night on it. If it does go down, please, as a backup, download the Tune in radio app, that's tune in all one word, and search WWCR2, that's WWCR, the number two, or just download the MixLR app, that's M I X L R, and search Weekend Vigilante. You can listen off those two apps. I have a web guy working on my new site coming soon, and hopefully it'll be better with much more security. It just never ends. Steve Quayle and I got knocked off yesterday. We uh, were attacked a few times. The attacks are getting worse, so please pray for us and our ministries. And speaking of Steve Quayle, he is one of my sponsors for my airtime costs. I am so grateful to him for that. This ministry, though, folks, is 100% listener-funded, and it takes a lot of work to put together a very good program, bringing you only the top guests, as well as my apostolic ministry of helping people with healing and deliverance, powerful prayer and intercessory prayer. The workman is worthy of his meat, and the Bible tells us that. So please prayerfully sow into my ministry and keep me on the air. Many people listen to the show and have never donated. So folks, giving is a kingdom principle, and if you eat the meat, it's only fair you do your part. You have no idea what I go through to bring you the truth. So please, I'm asking you to do what you can, and I thank you in advance for that. You can donate there at WeekendVigilante.com. I'm very excited to have my guest today. My guest is Christopher C. Horner. He is a brilliant Washington, D.C. attorney and a New York Times best-selling author. Chris has represented CEI as well as scientists and members of the U.S. House and Senate on matters of environmental policy in the federal courts and Supreme Courts. He has written numerous topics and publications ranging from law reviews to legal and industrial trade journals to print and online opinion pages, and he is the author of one of my favorite books, Literally my favorite book of all time, Red Hot Lies, How Global Warming Alarmists Use Threats, Fraud, and Deception to Keep You Misinformed. And another great book he wrote is The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming and Environmentalism. He's one of my favorite guests. Chris Horner, welcome back to the program. It is such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. You know, Chris, one of the things we hear in this environmentalism movement, especially with the global warming, is the science is subtle. In fact, that is Al Gore himself, as I call the high priest for Gaia, and others love to churn out this mantra, the science is settled, they won't debate. And it's amazing if we don't agree with them, we are touted as terrorists, we are touted as climate crooks, climate skeptics, climate deniers. I've never denied the climate changes. In fact, I think God knew exactly what he was doing, and he doesn't need us running around saving the planet. It's incredible, Chris. The science is settled. We hear that mantra quite a bit, don't we? When did the science get settled, Chris? It's 
it's not an argument, clearly. You need to, when you hear that, consistent with what George Will said, you need to hear that somebody's acknowledging they don't have an argument. It's like when they employ these rhetorical fallacies, appeal to authority and so on. It's just like it. They aren't arguments. Well, so-and-so says, or going ad hominem, that's an admission you don't have one. If somebody ever says, well, the science is settled, ask them what settled it. Was it a paper? Was it an IPCC missive? Their website says they don't do science, but anyway. Was it a zinger? Like, where's the beef? Something Gore said, what, what, was it a movie? What settled it? And you'll get this uncomfortable mumbling looking at their feed. They'll, they'll yell, uh, corporate America, global warming. Uh, but you won't get an answer because nothing settled it, of course. But it's a wonderful way to, okay, as you people like to say, let's have that conversation. What settled it? And in fact, it's quite the opposite. What they've done is they've created something that's non-falsifiable. Everything proves it. I suppose that settles it. Well, everything proves it. We said the winter was over. One of my, my favorite Google searches is uh, first casualty of global warming because there are so many of them. But one of them, with the, the dominant one, is winter. And winter was the subject of special editions of E, the magazine, E as an environment, and all sorts of hand-wringing and, and gnashing of teeth. And, and they were saying, yeah, winter was the first casualty of global warming. Snow is gone. It's a thing of the past. And they ran with a couple of mild winters here in the States, as and in the UK, where the, the independent ran stories, our children won't know what snow is anymore, they said in 2000. And it was just like Al Gore did with 2005. There were some hurricanes, and the future is here, the horrors we predicted. Uh, the gods are angry, you must appease them with sacrifice and gold through me, and it won't get any worse. Maybe I can make it stop. And instead, winter came back with a vengeance, and the very same people essentially are just like any doomsday call. When, when the spaceship doesn't land, they rush back inside, come back out later claiming they, they, they forgot to carry the one. Don't worry, we're right on track for doomsday. The spaceship's going to come, and all the followers are relieved. Oh, goodness. Um, we're, we're still on track to, to, for doomsday. Get the Kool-Aid. This is no different than that. They simply said, all of this snow is exactly what we predicted. <laughs> or there was this lazy uh, transition. This is consistent with what we would expect in a warming world. It's consistent with what we would have, but it's the opposite of what you predicted. Ah, it's consistent with what we'd expect in a global warming, warming world. Well, one of the things I put in my book, Green Gospel, A New World Religion, is in the beginning I put, imagine if everything you've been told about the environment was wrong. What if global warming was a good thing? Imagine if carbon dioxide was essential for life and plants could die without it. Imagine that overpopulation was an illusory problem created to simply call the population. And imagine if polar bears, glaciers, rainforests, sea levels, and the polar ice caps were all doing just fine. And imagine if economic growth made the world a cleaner, healthier, happy place. Just imagine that when God created the earth, he knew what he was doing and he didn't need you running around saving the planet. But imagine if the elite pushed a convincing lie so big that every human being around the globe swallowed it hook, line, and sinker, and it was all just a very elaborate scheme pushing you into a pagan pantheism called Gaia worship. Just imagine. I mean, Chris, the bottom line with this is if you really kind of go back to the you know, the tentacles of this, you know, whether it's Thomas Malthus or the, because these, I love how this, an article of faith amongst these greeny Malthusian, these neo-Malthusian greenies is that the world is getting far too crowded and something's got to be done, Chris. Oh yeah. Yeah. We must do something. Uh, certainly you want to do something. And they, they say, do you want, uh, would you like Armageddon or salvation? That's the poll question, essentially. Well, surely you understand we need to do something. Well, this is something. We must do this. Um, you get them nodding with, aren't you concerned? Don't you care? What about the children? Well, don't you agree that the following? And, and that's not the same as, so let's ration energy. Which, by the way, given that this is couched, even including by otherwise very respectable individuals, um, Joe Lieberman, a, a respected former senator in the United States, but Al Gore's running mate, will say it's a moral issue. Well, all right, again, as they like to say, let's have that conversation. If this is a moral issue, please tell me how you justify the results of what happens when you get your way. For example, the president of the United States continues to say Germany is his model for this. Germany is now, electricity in Germany is called a luxury good, according yeah. to Der Spiegel. 
it's online in English. And anyway, Google Translate software is uh, free. So the White House really has no excuses. They continued to cite Germany even as they had 800,000 households unable to pay their bill, getting their lights turned out. 200,000 of them were in their Hart's long-term unemployment program. Uh, how many? 32,000 claimed, I think, uh, 23,000, I guess, when you get that high, and, and, and they don't care because they're other people anyway, I'm sad to say. People died in the U.K. from fuel poverty imposing the same agenda. If this is a moral issue as you insist it is, how can you say this is what you want to do? Because as you and I discussed before, Sheila, you cannot escape one thing. There is a consensus that nothing ever proposed. The Kyoto Global Warming Treaty, global treaty, perfectly implemented for 100 years, ha, 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 would not, according to anybody, any computer model, detectively impact the climate. Okay, so again, it's nominally in the name, okay, it's in the name of climate. Nobody claims it would have any impact on what it's supposed to do or what it's in the name of. Um, why are we supposed to do this? Well, it's a start. You didn't sell it as a start. You sold it as salvation. And then the week, it was 10 days, I think, 10 days after the Kyoto Treaty was agreed, Science Magazine rushed out an editorial saying, well, a lot of harumphing. Uh, you know, people may be mis misunderstanding this. This is not actually uh, salvation, climate salvation. This is the first of 30 treaties. Well, we've seen how the first is gone. It wasn't sold as, well, this won't do anything, and it'll cost an awful lot. It was, this is salvation, and we'll all be rich off of it. Thoroughly dishonest. I mean, this is the problem with do what I want or everyone dies movements, which is what these, this doomsday cult is. If you don't just give them what they want right away, you have a chance to observe what happens. And fortunately, we haven't given them all they wanted. We've seen in the laboratories of bureaucracy how the agenda plays out. All of these people freezing to death in the UK, according to left-wing newspapers, The Guardian and Independent, government-funded the Hills Fuel Poverty Survey. In Germany, electricity is electric good. Okay, we've seen that it costs a fortune. We know that nobody claims it would detectively impact climate. It's in the name of climate and the right thing to do when it does, and social justice, it is so socially unjust. And it actually, when you ask, no, it wouldn't detectively impact the climate. There's a real, a real fundamental problem with this. It's sold dishonestly, and even in the name of something that they acknowledge, well, okay, it wouldn't do anything. What is it about? I mean, nobody doubts it's about something, right? What's it about? Uh, well, increasingly they're acknowledging it's about an ideology. The IPCC head who resigned this, this week, the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, Pachari, in his resignation letter said that, this environmentalism is his religion. Meanwhile, he's been, been promoting the climate agenda in the name of his, his religion, saying, well, you need to not eat beef and so on. I'm a Hindu and gets all confused when they're trying to find a rationale. He says it's his religion. That's really what it's about. The head of the other group called the UNFCC, United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, has said that, well, communism is, is much better equipped to do this. She doesn't read many newspapers, I don't think wondering about the air quality in, in North Korea, where they're... Imagine being a traffic cop in North Korea, and I have pictures of them. It's got to be the, the most boring job in the world because nobody has a car, and yet the air is filthy because they're poor. Communist countries are not better equipped to do this, but we continue with this slew of darling spokeswomen like Naomi Klein, I think is her name, the head of the IPCC's economic group, Otmar Edenhofer, and the head of the UNFCCC, all saying, look, it's about that darn capitalism. It's about communism. It's about redistributing wealth, according to Edenhofer. It's, it's about lots of things, but it's not about climate. Well, it goes back to what Morris Strong said. Isn't it our job to deindustrialize the United States, you know, in these other big juggernaut countries? This is interesting. You mentioned the hockey stick. Good old Michael Mann, and thanks to his Al Gore-endorsed school children scaring politician galvanizing hockey stick, Steve McIntyre and Ross McKintrick actually, Chris, tried to replicate the most famous of all climatological reconstructions, and they were stonewalled by man at every turn. And finally, when they found his computer algorithm, it was so skewed, Chris, that you could produce a hockey stick more than 99% of the time, regardless of the data you fed into it. In other words, he comprehensively fudged it. It rewrote history. 
it got rid of the medieval warm period, essentially. It was about 30 years long, I think. And it, then it projected the horrors of your climate future if you don't accept an agenda. But as we've covered, it's also the alleged horrors of your future if you do, because the agenda doesn't actually purport to impact climate. Um, at least they acknowledge that. That was problematic, and it was essentially withdrawn. The, I, the IPCC went from that being its um, icon to essentially it, it became a non-person. It was airbrushed out the next time around, and then it was a teachable moment. Okay, this is what happens, and every effort to address this has led to this muzzle law, suing people to shut them up so they don't criticize, coming after the academic research assistant to discredit him, who had pointed out that, well, this, this use, use of statistics was, was somewhat dodgy, um, and you need actual statisticians involved here, not tree ring experts, because these are questionable methods and, and leading to outcomes like this that are, are highly suspect and so on. Um, this is what happens when you go from a sleepy subset of geology, climatology, to enormous bags of money being thrown at you so that every paper, every research grant proposal, every everything will go from I want to study the nut gathering habits of the squirrel to what is the impact of climate change on the nut gathering habits of the squirrel to make sure I get my grant, to make sure I get published and so on. It's this terrible incentive that has led to very foreseeable results and yet where oversight is, uh, transparency is, has got to be avoided at all costs because they reinvented science in part through the, that episode you spoke about and others, the, they're reinventing it to say, call it postmodern. Postmodern science is the equivalent of the Clarence Thomas hearings, a Supreme Court justice, very controversial nomination because a woman came forth and alleged sexual harassment against him. And the claim was, it's the seriousness of the charge that matters. Stop looking into the credibility of the charge. It's the seriousness of the charge that's most important. That's postmodern science. I said the end of the world. You have to take me seriously. I have a lower threshold. I have a lower burden of persuasion because I'm not talking about some impact. I said the end of the world. You have to go with it. Well, it's, that may be postmodern, but it isn't science. But those are the tricks you have to play when you run around saying things like you opened our discussion with. The science is settled. No such thing. These are the stunts you have to engage in to try to get away with that. You mentioned money. I mean, Al Gore's raked in a lot of dough off carbon credits. Hansen, there's another case. He raked in a whopping $1.6 for being NASA's resident alarmist, plus an estimated $7 million when you pile it all up in traveling around the globe for his so-called wisdom. Think about it. It's fortune and ritzy vacations when you jump into bed with big eco, isn't it, Chris? Well, why do you rob banks, Willie? It's where the money is. This is where... Unfortunately, it was where the talent, if you were in BP, for example, the old British Petroleum, and you saw the obvious signs on the wall that the people who were advancing in the company were those who were engaged in their solar business that, and windmills that was entirely dependent upon government preferences, not technological superiority. They're commodities that, are, that exist at any scale because politicians decided to rob Peter to pay Paul. Well, then the talent leaves, and you go somewhere else, and it doesn't advance in the company, and, and you don't pursue what, what actually was their, their breadwinner and so on. And so you see that pretty soon the next generation of scientists, many of, as my understanding, become disillusioned because they see what they have to be. And others are just, this is what it takes to get ahead in my chosen field. There are a lot of downsides to this sort of, what I'll call societal downsides to this perversion of this intervention, this ideology driving serious government intervention that's leading to all of these other knock-on effects of impacts on industries, both productive uh, and then research and, and science and so on, that, again, are not unforeseeable, are highly regrettable, and it's worth taking a look because, as we've seen lately, when the roles are reversed, if these folks were to get their money from a, a someone that's the, the, the journalists love to pillory. Well, then that's a topic for discussion. It, it thoroughly informs the conversation. The public must know. But if it's, well, if we, we launder the money through the government or if it's from a foundation that happens to be ideological axe-grinding left-wing foundation, it's a foundation, it's a charitable foundation, uh, or somebody who claims to be an ex-investor, 
say, Tom Steyer or so on, an American who's promoting this agenda to the tune of almost $100 million of his own money so far. Well, suddenly that's pure. We don't need to talk about that. These, it's the folks we don't like who are influencing this. This is, again, we've, we've already described how it's not science. This is not a proper debate. But, again, given the case they're presenting, the case they can't make, they need to avoid a proper debate. Well, you mentioned the IPCC, and as you mentioned, Pachuri, I mean, got to remember, this guy's a railway engineer. And what's amazing to me is Obama's always echoing this, oh, the IPCC is the gold standard of international climate science, but their own website, and time and time again, Pachuri's on record, Chris, saying they're not a science body. And it was funny when MIT climate science doctor Richard Linsden said he thought the IPCC's most latest report had sunk to a new level, and this is what he called it, hilarious incoherence. They were proclaiming that increased confidence in their models as discrepancies were becoming more and more obvious and more and more ubiquitous. They kept proclaiming increased confidence in their models. And they said, well, their excuse for the absence of warming over the last 17 years was the heat was hiding in the deep ocean. It's just stunning, isn't it? Yeah, the dog ate the heat. Um, I can't explain it, so it must be somewhere. Except we would have found it, by the way, on its way down below. It would have it would have been detected, and it wasn't. <laughs> it didn't make sense, but it's all they had. And the point is, you projected X, lots of warming. The only thing that has increased faster than expected, another phrase they like, is greenhouse gas emissions from man, which, remember, are a pimple on an elephant in terms of the global greenhouse gas budget. These are greenhouse gases that facilitate the greenhouse effect. Water vapor is by far the dominant, and that's overwhelmingly 90-plus percent produced by nature, of course. And it's overwhelmingly 95-plus percent of the greenhouse gases. And then there's more minor gases, and man produces a fraction of those. So you're talking about a fractional reduction of a fraction of the greenhouse gases is going to change the weather? No, it's not. And that's, of course, why they they don't even claim it is. So they have to somehow explain why didn't what we said occur would occur? Why didn't it occur? And that's proved to be, obviously be a real problem with this pause of however many 18 years in, in temperatures, when the only thing that increased faster than expected was man's contribution. It should be run away, which was always a sketchy theory to begin with because greenhouse gas concentrations have been much higher in the past and it's been warmer in the past and it's never neither has led to spiraling these feedbacks and runaway warming why why suddenly was it now well because it's for man and man's bad it didn't add up observations actually proved the models wrong and so they come up with these crazy theories professor linden's right as the divergence grows between what was projected and what is observed a we get crazy claims like i saw there's a great national public radio story you can find online, the mystery of the missing heat when they're claiming it's supposed to be hiding in the ocean somewhere. And some of the experts, what would we do without experts, is quoted saying there must be something wrong with the observations because we have warming in our models. <laughs> I mean, back away slowly, break off eye contact, get the kids. I mean, just stay away from that. Uh, get out of that room. But the divergence is increasing, and they and so they claim a higher and higher confidence each time, as you said. How, in what other field, in what other context in, in, any, in life can you imagine that they get away with this? Okay, as our projections get more and more wrong because they're further away from reality, we claim a higher level of confidence that we're right. This is absolute cuckoo land. Yeah, it is. And it's because it's, it's liberated from any competitive forces. It's, it's a wealth transfer mechanism from the haves to the have-nots. It's to pay for global travel numerous times a year for people who'd love to get out of their own countries to be called one of the world's leading scientists, led by what the, the man who was until recently called the world's chief climate scientist and world's leading climate authority, who is, as you pointed out, a railway engineer and an economist, after publications in the U.S. used to say, well, I won't quote them because they were a little more rival than you might prefer, but why, why would I care what an economist has to say about climate is what... Um, Media Matters, I think, is the name of the group here, right, right. was saying when we pointed, when James Inhofe pointed out, all of these IPCC participants were 
dissenting, and they're saying, well, why would I care what an economist is to say? It's <laughs> a good question. Why are most of the IPCC climate scientists economists and so on? So, again, I'm still trying to find something right with all of this. We're touching on some of the many, many obvious things wrong with it. Well, one other thing that's wrong with it, you can really see an elite brigade of zealots have clearly hijacked, you know, whether it's pseudoscience. I mean, they created a new political platform to carry out their collectivist green goals, evening out the playing field in the redistribution of wealth and destroying personal liberty. And they utilize something that Karl Marx himself never envisioned. Marx would have salivated at the idea of using phony junk pseudoscience to force you to believe your lifestyle is responsible for altering the Earth's atmosphere, wouldn't he? Oh, I, I think this would get such respect from the forerunners of this sort, this, the philosophy that they are. Again, I just gave a whole, I don't know how long the talk was, but let's say 45-minute slideshow simply showing their quotes. Well, let's about, get into some of their quotes, Chris. Okay. Well, I mean, it goes back quite a while. It includes some the Canadian environment minister. I think her name was Christine Stewart. Uh, Christine Strong, Stewart, who yeah, you pointed to Recently, okay. First, you've got the problem that there's there's no claim that this would detectively impact climate. And so when they get pressed on this and United States EPA chiefs will acknowledge when testifying, well, yeah, okay, but that's just if we just ration our energy alone or disappear off the face of the earth, it wouldn't have an impact. But if China also disappeared off the face of the earth and, and dramatically rationed its energy and the rest of the world did too and so on, all these developing countries that are finally developing want to develop suddenly agree to ration energy or somebody invents pixie dust or flubber, then suddenly, you know what, we'll, we'll have a detectable impact on climate. But, A, that's not feasible because the rest of the world is saying no. And, B, you would lead to terrible, terrible unrest because of the human suffering you're imposing, barring the invention of pixie dust or flubber, at which point they try to ration that, claiming the pixie dust has a detrimental effect on, on child respiratory function or something because what they hate is abundance. What they hate is abundance. And so I went through this series of statements where official after official after official who are involved in the founding, who are now, let's say, President Obama, from the guy who chaired the global warming hearing that people say Al Gore did, he didn't, it was Senator Tim Worth, through President Obama, Christine Stewart in Canada and so on, saying, okay, look, even if this isn't real, it's the right thing to do. And I started with this because it is so not the right thing to do. It is so cruel. It is so disproportionately harmful to seniors and the poor, proved, and in the name of something that nobody claims it would have an impact on. It's so not the right thing to do, and yet, just like, well, it's the seriousness of the charge, they will slothfully revert to that immediately when challenged. Well, okay, I can't convince you, but it's the right thing to do. Nonsense. This is cruel. It's destructive. It's absolutely heartless. It is a wealthy, elite, sometimes absolutely crazy perspective in its detachment and often cruelty. So, no, it's not the right thing to do. And then they say, Edenhofer said we redistribute wealth, and we need to do that. And, uh, well, don't we have too much? By the way, it's always rich people who are essentially saying, when you hear this, English to English translation, I'm aboard, pull up the anchor. You don't hear poor people saying, yeah, 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 I, I, you know what, here in Haiti, I'm really worried that we're going to join Kyoto too or not, and what the enforcement mechanism might be. No, they have first-order needs, food, fuel, medicine, shelter. They just really must think the rich countries are crazy except it's, it's sold to them as, as wealth transfer. If they do this, they'll give you money. Uh, then you've got these claims like the EPA chief recently in testimony saying, well, it's not about pollution control. She really said this. It's an investment opportunity. And they sold it for, I don't know, two, almost two years in the name of this will create jobs. But everything creates jobs. I mean, smashing windows, building a wall on the border, tearing it down again, rebuilding it. There's nothing that doesn't quote create jobs, just not on net. And so they'll come up with every hackneyed line because of course that's that's like science is settled or appeal to authority it will create jobs is not an argument it's a sign you don't have one because nothing wouldn't create jobs everything that the government can make you destroy something buy something build something whatever you're going to have to hire somebody to do it it won't create jobs on net you've proved this over and over in the places our president used to point to as his examples and oddly no longer does because people looked to his surprise so they've tried everything after acknowledging, okay, look, even if it's wrong, it's the right thing to do. It's what we want to do anyway. It's our excuse. It's the vehicle. And now increasingly, increasingly, and I named some of the people from UN IPCC to UN FCCC to these spokespeople for the movement like this Naomi Klein, 
who gave me credit for pointing this out, by the way, when she recently came out with a book saying this is, I think it's called This Changes Everything, saying, look, it's this capitalism that's got to change. That's what the problem. I, I sat through a speech by Chris Horner at the Heartland Institute and a bunch of others, and Horner pointed out that the issue isn't the issue. He's right. People who've been saying this, she said, aren't just paranoid. They've been paying attention. She said it's, it's a vehicle. They're all saying this now. Okay, look, this is just, this is just the horse we got to ride because we've got to get to our utopia. You know, it's, it's, never, it's always been poorly executed, the wrong people, never big enough, whatever. It, it's just uh, mistakes were made. It's different this time. Now we're going to communalize and socialize assets and resources and, and et cetera. And the end of the world is our rationale this time. But it is inescapable. They are in agreement in coming out sometimes when they, I don't know, they're tired and they have a candid moment and sometimes very well scripted. I'm done pretending like this, this author Klein, I'm done pretending. Let's acknowledge it. This is about putting an end to capitalism. We don't like it. Great. I believe them. I have no reason to believe they're lying. There's so many of them saying it and it wouldn't detectably impact the climate. I think we're onto something. Maybe it's time to accept that that's what it's about. There's a couple of quotes I thought were really interesting. One was from Ingrid Newkirk, PETA founder, and this is actually, people can look this up in Reader's Digest, 1990. Humans have grown like a cancer. We're the biggest blight on the face of the earth. You mentioned Tim Worth, so Senator Tim Worth in 1993. Now, I think he's still president of the United Nations Foundation and Better World Fund. We've got to ride the global warming issue. Even if the theory of global warming is wrong, we'll all be doing the right thing. And you mentioned Christine Stewart, Canadian Minister of the Environment. No matter if the science of global warming is all phony, climate change provides the greatest opportunity to bring about justice and equality in the world. And it's amazing, Paul Watson, co-founder of Greenpeace, it doesn't matter what is true, it only matters what people believe is true. And Stephen Snyder, one of my favorites, IPCC author, we have to offer up scary scenarios. Each of us has to decide the right balance between being effective and being honest. I mean, the ones that came from Maury Strong, the UNEP director, isn't the only hope for the planet the total collapse of the industrialized civilization? And isn't it our responsibility to ensure that collapse happens? The common enemy of humanity is man. That's right in a Rio de Janeiro 1992 document. I mean, it's quite stunning that this kind of stuff comes out of these people's mouths, and they're never held accountable for it. Oh, no. It's, uh, it was, uh, oh, you're taking it out of context. It's the same claim with ClimateGate. Climategate was a thousand emails released, leaked, it appears, by someone who'd had enough of these unlawful denials under various freedom of information laws. East Anglia, yeah. Yep, East Anglia. They were subject to U.S. federal FOIA, U.K. FOIA, Virginia State FOIA, Arizona FOIA. I mean, all sorts of, if Canada has one, many, many freedom of information laws. And as some of the emails reveal, these people were taking, saying, I'll put them on a thumb drive, I'll destroy them, I'll, I'll say the dog ate them, whatever, but I won't turn them over which is consistent with what you described with Steve McIntyre McKittrick's experience with uh, trying to get data about the hockey stick and this guy, War, who was it, Warwick Hughes, who wrote, I've got 25 years invested in this, why would I show you my data? You just want to find something wrong with it. That's all very consistent with, with what we saw in Kleinigate. And so the response was, well, that's taken out of context. But they were all released in full context. They weren't excerpted. They were released in full they weren't out of context, and so we tried to help. I said, tell you what, then using these freedom of information laws, I'd like to believe you. Let's see the context. You said this whole, this, this what Christopher Booker with the Telegraph wrote was the biggest, greatest scientific scandal, worst scientific scandal of our generation, and you're saying it's simply a, a misunderstanding because it's being taken out of context? Then the responsible thing to do is to get the context, right? I'd like the rest of those emails. And they fought tooth and nail to make sure the thing that they swore up and down would clarify matters not be released. Now, what does the reasonable person conclude on the basis of this? Obviously, it wasn't taken out of context, and the rest of the context isn't going to help. Because all these emails, by the way, are public records that these people agreed to as part of their employment were subject to release. And then it led to lamentable decisions out of courts, protecting records that until then had quite plainly been presumed to be, I mean, these are, no one had ever considered this sort of correspondence about a public service component of an academic's employment obligations to be protected. And so they said, well, this is, uh, it's confidential, it's 
proprietary, it's research. No, it's not. You're talking about getting journal editors fired because you don't like what they allowed to be published. You're talking about going after climate scientists. This isn't research. This is thuggery. You'll love this, Chris. I set up a debate last summer with Dr. Timothy Ball and physicist Christopher Keating, who on Glenn Beck, he put up a challenge, and this is what he said. You know, I believe that man is causing global warming. Prove me wrong. I'll put up 50 grand for it. Well, all he did the whole time in the debate was he kept saying, well, according to NASA GIS statistics, no, you're wrong, because according to NASA GIS statistics, it just, it it really didn't go anywhere. And all he did was say, no, no, those East Anglia leaked emails. No, those weren't leaked. I said, what difference does it make if they were leaked or they got out? Like, it was just so incoherent. For somebody who's just engaged in nothing but appeal to authority, (laughs) Then why does, whether it was leaked, your entire argument is, well, appeal to authority. Great. I'd like to look at the authority, the people here, yeah. because it's all, these freedom of information laws are helpful to find out. Is party A saying the same thing to their allies in the pressure groups or uh, among themselves that they're saying to the public who's underwriting their activities? That's one of the greatest uses of FOI laws. Are you telling yourselves and your allies what you're telling the public who are paying for your whole stick? And so we sought them. And what I, if you put that aside for the moment, when these people do this, you have to remember something. Well, I've got a theory, prove me wrong. Okay, well, your, your theory has been disproved by observations. It's, it's now less than a hypothesis, but you're missing something. I'm not the one asking for sacrifice to the gods of gold, <laughs> rich youth, whatever uh, you're, you're, you're seeking. I'm not the one asking for authority for pain, for fundamental transformation, for new laws, for regulation, for restriction, for rationing. You know what? You got it upside down. Turn your telescope around. You're the one asking for these things. Guess what? You have the obligation. I have no burden. I want nothing from you. I'm not asking. I'm not demanding. I'm not insisting change the laws. I'm not insisting go around the laws. I'm not insisting use rules instead of the laws and reinterpret them. You are. Make your case. And what he's saying is I can't. You've proved me wrong. You've got it backward. But the good news is observations have proved you wrong in the meantime. Well, observations. It's interesting to note that good old Mr. Guy Hypothesis himself, James Lovelock, in April of 2012, he admitted that his previous claims were alarmist. And he, you know, he's what, 92 or 93 years old now. He said, climate change is still happening, just not as quickly as we once warned. He also said that former Vice President Al Gore, this is on record, he says he's guilty of exaggerating his arguments. And of course, as you know, Chris, the admission came as a devastating blow to proponents of climate change who hailed Lovelock as the most powerful figurehead for their hype. Right. And Freeman Dyson was a world-renowned physicist until he disagreed with them. And then he was just a drooling old crank. That's what everybody is once they disagree with them. Well, you're in the pay of oil companies. Well, no, I'm not. Well, you're just a drooling old fool. You're not able to, you're not a scientist. You're, what are you? You're an economist. Well, so are you. Yeah, well, I'm, it's different with me and so on. Okay, stop me when I get to somebody who's qualified to make an informed judgment on this. Barack Obama. Oh, by the way, and explain why. Barack Obama, Al Gore, Joe Biden, pause, wait for laughter. I mean, since when have you put this test? Are you only going to let that? I have an idea. Let's just let the, uh, let's let the academics vote on these laws now. Just, this is different. This, it, this is, it's the seriousness of the charge. We need to just throw all burdens of persuasion, all standards, all everything out the window because you scream the end of the world. I got it. That makes sense. No. You want something. You want really harmful things. You're dishonestly selling it by saying this will have an impact and that it won't cost anything. You're wrong twice there. You need to make your case. Stop running around just chasing people out of their science, out of their business, because you call them mass murderers online and frighten them into getting out of their research. That's a true story. Stop trying to sue everybody into silence. Stop trying to abuse open records laws that you agreed covered you when you don't want the context that you said would clear everything up to come out. And so on. Why don't you stop reinventing science to say, well, post-normal science applies here. You see, it's different. I said the end of the world, so you have to believe me. Every single standard and burden has to be turned on its head for them to get their way on this. Again, where else is not only this acceptable, but where else is this required? Well, I can't think of one. This is moon battery. It really is. 
Well, and now it's incredible. The EPA, I guess they're getting tired of the boring dregs of protecting endangered darter snails, and they're spreading their wings because the new-look EPA, Chris, is complete with heavily armed SWAT team that conducts these commando-style raids on, you know, spas or different businesses for, the, you know, got to look at your CO2 emissions. That's unbelievable that, you know, the DHS task force seizes these unauthorized Land Rovers or Hummers for violating emission standards. It looks like the people who brought us plastic bag recycling and ethanol kickbacks are getting into the repo business. I mean, not bad work in this down economy. It's like the green police is made up of machine gun wielding extremists, right? I think they've lost the plot. And you let them hyperventilate a little bit too long, I think, with this whole the whole doomsday thing. It, it wasn't well, you know, okay, they're, they're frothing, but they're earnest and they care, and then pretty soon they're out of control. And on many levels, again, it goes from all of the death threats to people who disagree with them to chase them out of the business and so on. Uh, it's just, this is pretty extreme, and, and I guess if, if they want to apply postmodern and we need to redefine the rules and the standard and so on, the new standard is when people start, when their catastrophists intervene early, don't let this get out of hand because this is already causing great harm throughout the world to the most vulnerable principally. But if they were to get their way, this would, this would be catastrophic. Okay, we, have, we clearly have much more to fear from global warming policies than we do from catastrophic man-made global warming. They're proved wrong, and their policies are proved very, very harmful. And this is just with people still standing in the way. Imagine if they didn't. So when they start doing the catastrophist shtick, I think from now on, we've got to intervene a little early because I don't know if it was just because we, we presumed they, they were just so earnest and caring that we let it go. But this went way too far. This went way too far on many levels. And I'm not just talking about the eco-terrorists and the Ted Kaczynskis. And the, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, but it is eye-opening. The quiz, who said this, Al Gore or the Unabomber, when you can't tell, and I challenge you to do well on that test, when you can't tell... This movement has a problem. Well, Al Gore actually, ironically, was on the Jimmy Fallon show, and I have a recording of this. I was breezing through the channels, and I, I saw Al Gore guest on Jimmy Fallon. I thought, oh, this is perfect. So he goes, you know, Al, they used to call it global warming, and then what? Now they call it climate change, and what's it called now? And he goes, oh, it's a climate crisis. Actually, he said, let me rephrase. It's a climate catastrophe, Jimmy. And I thought, isn't that, it's just stunning. And by the way, we are climate deniers or climate criminals is what they're touting us now. And David Suzuki even said on air, this is on record, these people that do not support global climate change should be jailed. There should be mm -hmm. stiff sanctions, Chris, for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or they might, they might stop us. They might get in our way. They're, they're proving inconvenient. Again, when you see it getting extreme, and these people have been calling for Nuremberg-style trials. I did detail this in Red Hot Lies. My second book, Red Hot Lies, went through these statements in detail, the two chapters on the, extreme, the extremes, one among the activists and another among policymakers, UN officials, and so on. They are completely out of control, and if anyone's speech needs to be checked, it's theirs because they are clearly inciting violence. This is serious. Okay, there are scientists who just got out of it. There's a black humor by a climate scientist I know who got chased. He was the state climatologist of Virginia, Pat Michaels, and he got run out because, and you need to listen to this, the newly elected politician, governor, his science didn't agree with the governor's ideology, so the scientist had to go. Switch the roles, and the governor was not of an earnest liberal. And this would have been a national scandal. But the governor was an earnest liberal. So Pat was deemed as, well, he was unfit and so on, simply because his science didn't match a politician's ideology. It wasn't helpful. It was inconvenient. Pat used to joke, I drive a hybrid because I don't think they would blow one of those up. And he said that because his colleagues were being intimidated. They were being intimidated by being called mass murderers with their picture put up on the Internet. Now, if you look at, again, Please remember, this is a movement where there's a quiz that will stump all of your listeners. Who said it, Al Gore or the Unabomber? This is a movement populated by these people. You are inciting violence. It's quite clear what they're up to. Yes, they are. They're saying it's the end of the world. These are mass murderers. They're standing in our way. What in the world is the reasonable outcome of that? What does a reasonable person expect? Is going to, they're inciting a often unbalanced, a very marginal, but a 
appreciable base. And again, this is extreme. It's from now on going forward, you need to intervene earlier because now this movement is out of control. You said David Suzuki can say this on television. Numerous magazines and journalists and activists continually talk about making sure other people go to are jailed or blocked from speaking. Like I said several times, they insist that all the rules be changed for them for this situation. Yeah. That's a big red flag. Well, and now you got jumping on the bandwagon, the Vatican. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, an encyclical is very rare. And now, of course, this year you have the anticipation around Pope Francis' forthcoming encyclical, which is really unprecedented. And, of course, it's amongst the highest level of a pope's authority. So when you think of a contingent of Catholics that are saying, well, why is a pope getting involved in climate issues? But the point is that Pope wants to bring leaders of the main religions together to make, and this is quoted right out of the Vatican spokesperson, make all people aware of the state of our climate and the tragedy of social inclusion. What is your take on the Pope bringing together these UN leaders to talk about the staggering effects to the climate? Well, this is not new, but it's gotten more advanced. I don't remember the year, but let's say around 10 years ago. This is not 10 years ago. I'm saying in the... I think in the last decade, but in the last few years of John Paul II, there was a movement to do this, and there were presentations there, and it didn't get out of control, and to the point where they rushed forward promoting policies that, again, demonstrably harm the most vulnerable, completely wrongheaded. Since then, what has changed? What has changed since 10 years ago or so? I don't remember the year. But I remember Fred Singer from from Virginia was involved. I remember meeting some of the Italians who did the presentation uh, at a meeting in in Vienna of scientists who were addressing this. Uh, It was was a big deal. What's changed since then? What's changed since then? Well, okay, the theories become less than the theory thanks to comparing observations with the output of their theory. The testable aspect was we compared reality with their projections. It's been invalidated, and so we're supposed to <laughs> – so this should go further. Um, temperature, storms, sea ice, sea level, snow, polar bears, you name it. They've gone from denying warming stop to claiming now 66, 66 different explanations for why the warming paused, as they say, because they know it will continue. And it could for a while, but then it'll go down again. It's temperatures are cyclical. But they went from denying it stopped to now offering 66 different reasons for why it did. Why, given this last 10 years or so, I think it's a little more than that, why do we then now take this much further in the Vatican? Well, I think there are a couple of different kinds of capture. There's regulatory capture, let's say, you can say an industry that's being regulated by an agency captures the agency. Or you've got capture like the EPA, where their constituency, the, the environmental pressure groups, capture it. It's a self-selecting universe of activists who move into that position because that's their way to affect their change. I think this is more compared to that in that activists have made more inroads now and they've made great strides with a new pope whose messages on environmental stewardship have tended to come wrapped in the language of social justice and questioning the ethics of capitalism and promoting redistribution. If you remember that context, we have a new pope whose stewardship messages come wrapped in that, social justice questioning ethics of capitalism and promoting redistribution. Well, then, of course, the people who were promoting this more 10 years or so ago with John Paul II are going to make a little more progress, despite the fact the observations and the science and all the projections have turned completely against the idea of doing this. Okay? And, by the way, one, one thing I didn't mention, so has the experiment of their policies. And I don't know that any of these folks who've convinced the Pope in a way that he seems to be predisposed to agree with anyway. I don't think any of the presentations likely dwell on the realities of this policy. Now, again, I'm speculating. I I don't know what what they presented to him. I I do remember last time around. But since last time around, the scientists, the observations have turned completely against them. The projections all wrong. But the experiments of the policies that they're demanding have proven the wrongheadedness of this and the impact of this. So there's no good explanation for this. It's troubling, but not unexpected. 
Well, in 1990, John Paul II said Catholics had a special religious obligation to protect God's creation from damage caused by industrial waste, he quoted, burning of fossil fuels, unrestricted deforestation, and other practices. And he was, for a while, dubbed the Green Pope, who was frequently calling to stop ecological devastation, you know, when he stepped down in 2013 and... Francis stepped up. I guess maybe it was done for the sole purpose of jump-starting the paradigm shift that would be needed to accomplish the transformation of Catholicism into the new green world order. But you'll love this, Chris. On February 18, 2015, the Global Catholic Climate Movement, people can look this up, officially announced the Lenten Fast for Climate Justice. And their goal is to raise awareness on climate change as well as for Pope Francis's Lenten to call to confront a globalization of difference and spur the world leaders into working out a binding agreement to stave off rising temperature levels. This fast is going on for the whole year. It's a worldwide thing. And this is one of the quotes from a Vatican spokesperson. It's important to raise awareness that climate change is a moral issue. <laughs> well, look, if their, if their theory were somewhat look it's been badly degraded over time but let's say it's the early days and we have to and taking postmodern science well the seriousness of the charge we have to take it seriously okay when you know if you know nothing else then yes the claim requires moral considerations but so does analyzing the claim and taking into account observations and observations from the policies now if this is in the name of doing more than attention and raising awareness then a sincere, quick way to dispose of this would be to ask these people, uh, okay, this is in the name of avoiding uh, climate catastrophe. Can you please tell me what is it you want to do? Don't say something or act now. If you could tell me what you want to do or demand others do, and then if you could tell me what the temperature will be, or if that's mean, if you just tell me, will it be any different? Because the problem you have, and I'm guessing not one of them is aware, is nothing that they're demanding would, according to anybody, detectably impact the climate. So we're acknowledging it's a, look, there's no escaping. It's a futile gesture. It's a gesture without impact. It's a futile gesture. Now, if you told them the one thing I'll bet that none of them know, did you know how these policies harm people? Then it changes the calculus completely. So, yeah, if you begin with no other factors other than a claim, then, yeah, there, you have a moral obligation to look at it. Somebody is claiming the following. But you have a moral obligation when assessing it as well. You can't put blinkers on and say, you know what, I'm going to pretend the last however many years, decade and a half or whatever, I'm not going to compare reality with their projections. I'm not going to look at the fact that their climate models build in warming with these feedbacks they design because observations have proved the models wrong. They build in warming that's not – they've proved to overestimate the warming of CO2. And I'm, I'm not going to ignore how these policies have worked out. I'm not going to sort of slow-wittedly, soft-headedly crash into this. It feels good, so we must do it. They said it's for the poor, so I'll do it. When you're harming the poor first and terribly, quite obviously, it's frustrating when people are so sure but without facts, without actual consideration, because it's in the name of staving off climate catastrophe, and yet if you ask them what would you like to do and what would the climate impact be, they would be stumped. They'd say do something, act now. And we must, well, anyway, we have to do something. But all you're doing is harming people. I don't know how morally you avoid those considerations. Well, I always ask people in the grocery lineup and they've got their recycling bags. Oh, I say, you're saving the planet, huh? And they, they nod and they say, oh, yes, I am. And I said, what are you saving the planet from? You will be quite alarmed to see the deer in headlights look I get when I ask people what they're saving the planet from, Chris. Your book, Red Hot Lies, it's one of my favorite. Folks, Red Hot Lies, how global warming alarmists use threats, fraud, and deception to keep you misinformed. You've got to get this book. It's linked there at weekendvigilante.com. In the waning moments, Chris, what do you think the most important thing for the listeners to know about all this is? Well, that even when they wrap it up in emotion and morality and anything else, if you return to the basics, what you're proposing would not have any climate impact, and it's being done in the name of climate. What you're proposing would have a profound economic impact, which we've proved it's not theoretical. So you're seeking to address something what has become less than a hypothesis over time, discredited by observations, with something that, okay, nobody actually says would impact the threat, and you would do great harm in the meantime. There may be times 
good, acceptable times for costly, cruel, harmful, futile gestures. I just don't know when they are, but I know this isn't one of those times. Just remember, it is all pain, no gain. And just saying, well, we have to do something isn't a sufficient analysis. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you for your work that you've done. I mean, just incredible information. Again, folks, you got to get this book, Red Hot Lies. Again, it's one of my favorite books. It is such an incredible compilation. I mean, Red Hot Lies is one, but Power Grab, that's another additional book people have to get. When you step back and take a macro view of all this, it really is unbelievable chicanery. The amazing thing is no one ever gets held accountable, and I guess that's the stunning part of it. Nowadays, if you're a constitutionalist, you're a terrorist. If you are a climate denier, you're a terrorist. I mean, we're always demonized for standing up for our rights because they just really do want this sort of dumbed and numbed, you know, people walking around in dystopic trance, singing kumbaya, not really know what's going on. And I think that's very alarming. Well, it beats having to make your case, I suppose. That's the only thing I've come to conclude. (laughs) Well, again, thanks for coming on the program today, Chris. It's always a pleasure. Folks, Chris's information is bookmarked there at weekendvigilante.com. Like I said, get this book. Thank you again, Chris, for coming on. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you to all the listeners on Worldwide Christian Radio and to all of you tonight who tuned into the broadcast. Good night and God bless. Man-made global warming pollution causes global warming. Congressman, you began by denying that there is a consensus on the science. There is a consensus on the science. You must have been listening to our testimony that we've had for the last few days with dozens of experts that have come in who have given completely different views. Well, there So I would, people, I, would ref, I would encourage you to go back and look at the testimony there, this committee's heard. There are people who still believe that the moon landing was staged on a movie lot in Arizona. And neither of us was one of those. And I know you like giving those cute anecdotes. This is not a cutesy issue. We're talking about no, that can export millions of jobs out of our economy, out of our country, and testimony has been given just to those numbers. And so we're talking about a serious consequence that there would be on this country and the carbon leakage that would occur where the carbon would be emitted, but it would be emitted in China and India, and the jobs would go to China and India. And that's been testified before this committee in the last few days as well. Man, so testify about the actual cost. Do you want to man, talk about the cost? Man-made global warming pollution causes global warming. That's not a cutesy issue. It's not an open issue. It's your, and it's your opinion. Obviously, you've stated it many times. It's the, it's the, would you talk to the, the cost? It's the opinion of the global scientific community, and more importantly. And not in unanimity. No, there are others on the more, other more side. Importantly, more importantly, Congressman, that opinion is the opinion of the scientific studies conducted by the largest corporate carbon polluters 14 years ago. 14 and you talk about carbon, and I've got to, I'm running out of time. We talk about carbon polluters. You talk about them. It's my understanding that back in 1997, when you were vice president, Enron's CEO, Ken Lay, was involved in discussions with you at the White House about helping develop this type of policy, this trading scheme. I, 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 I don't know, but, but I, I met with uh, uh, Ken Lay, as lots of people did, before anybody knew, knew uh, that he was a right. crook. And, and clearly, it, you can see why so many of us are concerned about this type of cap-and-trade energy tax that would be literally turning over this country's I energy economy. I didn't know him economy. well enough to call him Boy. Well, you, but you knew him well enough to help devise this trading scheme, and obviously we know what Enron and these big guys on, uh, on Wall Street like Goldman Sachs, and I know you've got interest with Goldman Sachs. That's been reported. Is that not accurate? No, I, I wish I did. With executives from the, you're partnered in companies with executives from Goldman Sachs. Either way, Enron clearly had an interest in doing this when they were around. We saw what they did. And when you see the types of people involved in wanting to set up this kind of scheme, you can uh, see why so many of us are concerned about are turning you, our energy economy over to a scheme that was devised by companies like Enron and, and some of these Wall Street well, that, firms that, that wrecked mean, our financial economy. I, I, I don't really know. You, you're trying to... Uh, I mean, clearly there will be big winners and big losers. Of, you're trying to say there's some kind, the vice kind of to guilt by association? Is that, is that Not your... association. I'm saying that there are going to be big winners and big losers in this bill, and that's been discussed by everybody talking. Big winners and big losers. But some of the big winners are some of the very financial experts that help destroy our financial marketplace, this trading scheme that would be uh, Enron, Enron, Enron didn't create 
this this uh, uh, proposal in any way, shape, or form. Well, the details false, are not in this bill. The details are not in this bill, and I would suggest that they are. Did global warming cause Katrina? Did global warming cause the death of a polar bear? And there are going to be arguments on both sides. Why not just leave that aside? Why not focus on the security? Why not focus on the economy? Why do we have to be in a position of picking winners and losers? We've just watched a financial meltdown in this country, the likes of which hasn't been seen in some time. Now, if people like credit default swaps, they're really going to like the carbon swaps that are going to occur and the carbon future swaps. We spent a full day in this committee last summer talking about the manipulation of the energy futures market in oil. People who are, 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 have a, a, an inclination to react dishonestly to systems are, are going to actually have a, a new opportunity. Is that not a problem? Well, let me, let me uh, look at your analogy in a slightly different way. There are warnings now of a far worse catastrophe, and they're coming from a unified IPCC representing the global scientific community, and if nothing were to be done about it, the results would be far worse. It's the biggest crisis we've ever faced. The Sheila Zielinski Show is sponsored by SteveQuayle.com. Offering a wide variety of products, links, headlines, and information for the end times. Order Steve's new book, Little Creatures, by visiting stevequail.com. Dare to discover, learn, prepare, and be amazed.